Amen and amen. Please find your way in God's precious word to Romans chapter 9. Romans chapter 9, as we look back at chapter 8, we should rejoice as we saw how God's plan came together and will be completed in the future all through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. I pray that chapter 8 will sink deeply into our souls as we meditate on what God has done what God is doing, and what he will do. One of the greatest things that I love about chapter 8 is that it begins by stating that there, that there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, meaning we have victory, amen? And then it closes by declaring that nothing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So I, I got to ask, how can you not love those words? You know, how does that put a, a new step in your walk? But wait, as they say on TV, there's more. The verses in between these two magnificent statements really gives us assurance that as believers, we are safe and secure in Christ because we have seen what God has done and we know what God will do. In other words, we have assurance that God is in control because we can see that God has had a plan from the beginning and he is fulfilling his promises. So as we walk through this letter, we can rejoice because we see that these deep doctrinal truths that we have been studying gives each believer a solid foundation to stand on when all the storms of life comes gives each believer a solid foundation to stand on when you hear false teaching, a solid foundation to stand on as we see the world sinking in sand. Make note here, though, you can know all the doctrines of the Bible, but unless you know Christ, all of the other teachings are kind of base, you know, useless, you know. They'll help you, but it's useless. Why? Because there is not one of those teachings that can save your soul. That's the main point. You must know the doctrine of Jesus in order to be saved. We have learned in Romans what? That without Jesus, we are guilty in our sins. So the point I'm making is that if you don't understand who Christ is and what he has done, then the scriptures are foolishness to you. Christ is the key that unlocks the scriptures. Amen? Thank you. So then, one may ask, why all the other teachings? You know, why we got all these books and all this writing why such a big book can, can you not just sum up the gospel in one short letter you know can you just maybe put the gospel in a track and do a drive-by evangelism and throw it at somebody you can but you can't because why because on tv say they say there's more right listen all of the teachings in scripture all of the history that we read about are in the scriptures to magnify the name of Jesus and to give him the glory. It's all about Jesus. That's why we have it all. And that's where, you know, Paul will take you every time. He'll take you right to Jesus. Paul begins this letter by thoroughly explaining sin and how mankind has turned his back on God. He took the first three chapters to cover the teaching of sin and its effect on man. Three chapters of bad news. But we had to have the bad news to better understand how good the good news is. And so when Paul takes us through chapters four through six, we got to see the wonders of salvation. 
And we celebrated because we can now understand how great our God is and how great our salvation is. We're, we are able to see all of the beautiful things that happen through our Lord Jesus Christ. As a believer, remember, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. As a believer, we have access to God through our Lord Jesus Christ. As a believer, we rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ. All of this happens through our Lord Jesus when salvation comes. That's the good news of the scriptures. The good news is the whole story of creation, the fall of man, and how God has provided a way of salvation for all who believe. The good news is not just that God gave his only son and that whosoever believes in him shall not perish. That is good news. Yes, amen. Preach it. But the good news encompasses much more as we have seen. So as we have gone through this letter of Romans, we have been taught about sin. We have been taught about salvation and how Jesus is the answer to our sin problem. And then we are taught about what happens to us after salvation. That brings us to chapter seven and eight, which deals with our, our sanctification, we could say. We're, we're taught about the future and how there will be a, a new heaven and a new earth. And we learned about the Holy Spirit and the work he does and the power that comes with him. And as we dug into these truths of God, we saw how God will mold us. He will shape us. He will prune us because he loves us. He will even use a fiery trial to burn off that dross when necessary because he loves us. And through it all, God's children will become more like Christ through the process of sanctification. God's children will desire to be more like Christ, prepare, preparing us for eternity, preparing us for what we will do in that new heaven and that new earth. But know this, beloved. God is not going to kick your door down, hold a Bible in your face and force you to read it. He's not going to do that. It's more like God is saying to each one of us, here's my word. Here's how you will know more about me. Study it and know the full gospel. Here's how you build a relationship with me, he's saying. This is my love letter to you, God says. All that you need in life is in these pages. You now have eternal life. The, the word now has meaning to you. Now learn more about me and live a life like a child of God. So it's literally in our hands, right? It's in our hands. Each one of us has, has to make that choice, you know, daily. Whether we are filled by the word and the spirit daily or just when trials come along. You know, me and Pastor Jared were talking about a sermon that Pastor Ryan had preached one Sunday, and he, would, he taught on coming to Jesus with a childlike faith. I don't know if you remember that. Great sermon. But coming with a childlike faith. And me and Pastor Jared was talking about, yes, man, I remember that time. You know, with childlike faith, we came to Christ. And we, we continued talking about it, saying, you know, after you realize that you have been saved from that wrath, after that very moment, things change. Things begin to change immediately. You, you will desire to know more about Jesus, the one who provided the salvation that you now have. You'll begin to study his word and begin doing the good works that God has prepared for you. And as me and Jared were continued to talk, 
something that happened to both of us that really stood out. Uh, a passenger said, you know, like on the night he was saved, he, he was filled with joy, overwhelmed with joy. Yes. He said, but, but something else amazed him and me in our salvation experience is that when we woke up the next day after our salvation, it didn't happen together. We didn't know each other back then. <laughs> Probably a good thing we didn't, but, but after the next day for both of us, we could not keep from thinking about Jesus. Couldn't get him out of our minds. You know, we, we had gone through life up until that moment, barely even giving Jesus or God a thought, just living life. But after accepting Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we could not get him out of our minds. We could not get enough of the word. We wanted to know more and more about our Lord. We had become a new creation. And I pray that each one of us had that same desire to know more and more now that you are a new creation. I pray we stay hungry for the word. Now, we are at one of the points in, in the Bible here, chapter 9, as we'll see, where, where some may ask, what does this have to do with me? You know, and, and the answer that I give you is nothing. Remember, the scriptures are about God. You see, we get confused sometimes. It's about the righteousness of God and how he has fulfilled his promises and how he has provided a way of salvation. And so as we look at the next couple of chapters and we hear a lot about Israel, we'll hear a lot about Israel, but we will be learning a lot about God. And that's an important point here. And we, when we learn about God, what does it do? It gives us confirmation that God is God and we are not, you know, and that he is in control. It's important to know, you know, so if you ever, you know, are asking, well, what kind of application do I take away from that text? What kind of application do I take away from, you know, God dealing with Israel and, and the history of Israel? What do I do? Listen, take comfort. Okay. That's your application. You can get comfort in knowing that God is in control. God is not taken by surprise ever. God has had a plan from the beginning. So as we study about Israel and see about Israel, just know that God has had a plan from the beginning and God will see it through and his will will be done. So you can use that application anywhere in the Bible, right? Take comfort. God is in control. You know, because many times we ask, you know, me, we, we ask, where is God? You know, when, when things are, are not, not going out like we planned, the way, way we think it ought to happen. We ask, you know, where is God? And listen, if you've ever had that thought, here's what I say. Go to the old rugged cross. If life is not going the way you thought it should, I say go to the old rugged cross because think about this. If you were at the foot of the cross that day and you saw the son of God being crucified, you might ask, why is God letting this happen? Where is God? Why is his son being crucified on an old rugged cross? But on this side, this side of the cross, we can clearly see God had a plan. So just because God seems silent 
doesn't mean he is absent. God is in control and the scriptures prove it. Amen. So when you come across a text that says nothing can separate you from the love of God, you can know that you know that that statement is true as true can get and you can rest in it. So rest people, rest in the love of God. When we see what God has done throughout history, we should be in awe. We should be amazed and know that only a righteous God can create and bring about salvation at the perfect time. Not in our time, but at the perfect time. If we are in Christ, everything happens at the perfect time. Amen? That's the open. Let's read our scripture. Chapter 9, verse 1. I am speaking the truth in Christ, Paul says. I am not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the, in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. They are Israelites, and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, and the worship, and the promises. To them belong the patriarchs, and from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ, who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. Isn't it remarkable how Paul moved from the joy of Romans 8 right into the sorrow and burden of Romans 9? Did you notice that? You know, when, when Paul was focused on Christ back in 8, he rejoiced. But when he looked at the lost people of Israel, he wept. Many of us can relate to what Paul is going through, right? You know, the truth is, we, when we have our eyes on Jesus, we can rejoice. That's good stuff. But as we look at, the, as a, look at a loved one who has turned away or fallen away from God, we weep. Our hearts are broken. And, you know, that, that's, a, that's a real struggle. That's a struggle in the word, right? We who know Christ, we understand the love that God has poured out on us. Yes, yes, we rejoice. And yet when we see someone who has rejected the love of God, it tears our heart out. We're just like Paul. He was heartbroken. Paul had an amazing love for Israel, or as he calls them, my kinsmen according to the flesh. He loved them unconditionally. The love that Paul had for the Israelites was, was not recipro reciprocated in no way, shape, or form, but he loved them. His love never broke. Paul was seen as the enemy of the Jews. You know, his entire life after his salvation, he was seen as an enemy. Why was that? Well, the Jews actually believed that Christ Christianity is an anti-Jewish conspiracy. And they saw Paul as a leader of an anti-Semitic movement. So Paul, here in this text, wants to set the record straight. You know, he, he wants them to see his heart and to understand his love for them and, and that he wants what is best for them. And so in verse 1 through 5, he does that. He declares from his heart that he has a deep and profound love for Israel. He wants them to know that he has not turned his back on them far from it. They were his people. They were his kinsmen according to the flesh listen paul was never ashamed of being jewish right we read the scriptures you know in acts 23 6 he says i'm a pharisee son of a pharisee we all know what he proclaimed in philippians right 
a Hebrew of the Hebrews of the tribe of Benjamin, circumcised on the eighth day, zealous for the law above my countrymen. Paul loved his people. So much so that in chapter 10, verse one, he says this. He says, brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they were, might be saved. That's his heart for them. He wasn't anti-Jewish just because he proclaimed the gospel of Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, by proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ to his kinsmen, he was showing real love, not hate. We can relate, right? It's because of love that we have a heart to call people from sin to salvation. It's a God-given love that we have that makes us do that. Israel was missing out on the love that God had for them. And they were missing out on the love that Paul had for them. Even though he loved them, even though he showed his love, they hated him. You want to know how much they hated him? They hated Paul as much as they hated Jesus. Crucify him, they screamed. Crucify him. You see, in their eyes, Paul was a traitor. He was once one on the Jews' side. Paul started out for uh, persecuting the Christians, and then he became one of them. Unheard of. Paul was selected to persecute the followers of Jesus because of his zeal for Judaism. Paul was a dedicated, a loyal man, but instead of putting a stop to the Christian movement, he himself became a follower of Jesus. Praise the Lord. I believe it would do us good to take a look at the conversion of Paul, which we're all familiar with. And I think it will help us better understand the heart of Paul and the love that Paul had for Israel. Because I think once we see what happened to Paul, what he did after his conversion, it, it really will give us a glimpse of the heart. And it will help us really to see how much he loved Israel. So flip over to uh, Acts chapter 9. And we'll see if the statement that Paul says here in, in Romans 9 is really true. We all know Acts chapter 9, the infamous Damascus Road. We know that God had blinded Paul on the road. And while Paul was blind, God calls Ananias to go to Paul. I don't think it was an iPhone. Not sure how that worked. But God has a special way of calling his people. But I want us to start off by looking at the reaction of Ananias to God's call. Because Ananias knew the heart of Paul before his conversion. Verse 13. But Ananias answered the Lord. He said, hello, Lord. No, it wasn't like that. Not sure how it went. He said, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. So I want to stop there for a moment. For a moment. You, you, you have to, to love the heart of Ananias. God, the creator of the world, says go to Paul. And, and Ananias didn't immediately go, yes, Lord. Right. I'm leaving immediately. I'm gone. Whatever you wish, I will go. He's no, he's like, Lord, let me tell you about this guy. <laughs> like, God didn't know, you know. Wait a minute, let me tell you. Yeah, 
Ananias is real. You know, I like this guy. He's real. I'm sitting here studying this. I'm looking at my own heart. I'm like, I'm Ananias. That's me. You know, God tells me to do something this way. And my response is like, are you sure, Lord? You know, because I was thinking maybe we ought to do it my way. You don't know what I know, Lord. We need to do it God's way every time. Even when we doubt, we need to do it God's way. His plan is a lot better than ours. We must trust in the Lord. Amen. Don't be Ananias. Well, you can, but don't. Don't be Ananias. Just saying. All right. All right. Let's go down to verse 15. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. You see that? Where is he taking him? Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house. And laying hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Keep that in mind. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight, and then he rose and was baptized and taking food. He was strengthened. Paul is no longer Saul. He has now been saved. He is now a new creation filled by the Holy Spirit. Now, after Paul's conversion, he spent some time with the Lord in a very unique and private relationship. As a matter of fact, Paul was discipled for several years, and during that time, the Lord dispensed to him the full gospel. You know, that's why we can read in uh, what, why Paul can say in Galatians 1. He says, this message I preached, I did not receive from men. I received it directly by revelation from Christ himself. That's a big deal. You know, we see it in 1 Corinthians. He said, I didn't receive, I didn't receive this from the Lord, you know. I mean, I didn't receive this from men. I received this from the Lord as he gives it to us. And so after years of training, Paul is ready to do the good works that God has prepared for him. So he returns to Damascus. And what do you think the first thing Paul did? He preached Jesus. He preached Jesus. Where? The synagogue. To his kinsmen in the flesh, Paul preached or taught that the Jesus is the son of God, that Jesus is the Messiah that the scriptures foretold about. Now think about that for a moment. How sure did Paul have to be about who he was in Christ and who Christ is to go into such a, I would say a hostile environment to preach Jesus? How sure was he? Paul is preaching about the man that was just crucified. That would be a pretty volatile place to preach that message. What was their response to what Paul taught? Verse 20. The scripture says, and immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue saying, he is the son of God. Paul's a bold man. And all who heard him were amazed and said, is is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon his name? And has not has, has he not come here for the purpose to bring them bound before the chief priests? So they know who he is. 
they, they, he's got a reputation, but I guess they listen. It says, but Saul increased the more in strength and confounded the Jews who dwelt at Damascus, proving that Jesus was the Christ. How well did Paul know the truth? Well, he defeated them in debate. There were no maps for his presentation. Did they like that? Not so much. Verse 23, and many days were fulfilled. The Jews took counsel to murder him. Paul proves that Jesus is the Christ. He is the Messiah, the one that the scriptures foretold that would come. The people should have rejoiced, but instead they had a meeting, came to the conclusion, we should murder the messenger. Could you imagine your first preaching gig? <laughs> You've executed with excellence. You've won the debate, proved your point, shared the good news, and the congregation's response is, let's kill it. Any normal preacher preaching his first sermon may have quit on the spot or at least questioned his calling. Paul is not normal, as some would say, right? Paul has a tremendous heart for Israel. So what does he do? He keeps on preaching Jesus. The hatred did not deter him. He was sure who he was and who Christ was. So go to chapter 13, verse 14 in Acts. Now we're got, we have Paul and Barnabas go on a mission trip. Verse 14 says they go to Antioch. where, And when they get there, where's the first place they go when they get to town? Right to the synagogue again. On the Sabbath day, write to the Jewish people again. Paul goes into the synagogue and the word says, after the reading of the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent a message to them saying, brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, say it. Now, sometimes there's things you just don't have to pray about. If God opens a door that big, walk in. I mean, they just asked Paul, if you got something to say, come say. What does he do? Paul stood up, beckoning with his hands and said, men of Israel and you who fear God, listen. And what does Paul do? Goes right into preaching Jesus to his kinsmen, right in the middle of the synagogue. Verse 38 says, let it be known to you, Paul says, therefore, brothers, that through this man, Forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. Let me just say this. Making that statement in the middle of a synagogue back then would have made you a lot of Jewish friends. Pastor Vince would have said, no. <laughs> oh, God. Paul doesn't let up, though. He keeps on rolling with a warning to the ones who heard him preach. Verse 40, beware, therefore, lest what is said in the prophet should come about. Look, you scoffers, be astounded and perish, for I am doing a work in your days, a work that you will not believe even if one tells it to you. Man, that should have rattled everyone who heard that. It should have rattled them. And it did some in verse 42, it says, and they went out and the people begged that these things might be told to them the next Sabbath. And after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who, as they spoke with them, urged them to continue in the grace of God. 
So, you know, this is the time in Paul's ministry where God gives enough light to keep him running the good race. You know, he did that for Paul. He does that for us. You know, but as Paul's going through all this turmoil and as he traveled and preached the gospel, he, 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 God gave, God let him see the fruits of his labor. And he always does that for us. Always look for it. Paul needed to continue doing what he was doing. Look at verse 44. The next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the words of the Lord. But when the Jews, this is Paul's kinsmen in the flesh, but when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. So, so the Jews were willing to listen until they saw the crowds, until they realized that the Gentiles were brought in, and then they got jealous, and then their pride came up. And, and you know, they couldn't, they really couldn't believe anything that the Gentiles believed, those lowlifes over there. Even though they would allow Gentiles to convert to Judaism, they were not going to listen to anything that they believed in. But anyways, they became hostile and they grew even more hostile. And, and what happened? What did Paul, did he back down? Not at all. He grew bolder. Result in verse 48. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many were appointed to eternal life, believed, and the word of the Lord was spreading through the whole region. That's the good news. That's the good news. That's the light he got to see. But there was always bad news at the door of Paul, as we read in verse 50. But the Jews, his kinsmen, incited the devout women of high standing and the leading men of the city, stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of, the, out of their district. So they got the honorable women in the town. They got the chief men, men in the city. They, they rallied them together and they got them all worked up and they expelled Paul and Barnabas out of their borders. They threw them out of town. Can you see the pattern developing here? Not only, not only that, but can you see the heart that Paul has for the Jewish people? He preaches in a synagogue. They want to kill him. What does he do? He goes to another synagogue. They're ready to run him out of town and kill him. What does he do? He goes to another synagogue. He never backed down. You see, Paul sees some light. He sees the Gentiles are starting to believe the word. There are some Jews that are believing the word. But, you know, he also saw the darkness that was there, too. He saw that the Jews wanted to kill him. But did he flee? Absolutely not. He went right back teaching to his kinsmen because he loved his people. He wanted them to see the light that had been revealed to him. But everywhere Paul went, the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles time after time, dividing entire cities. Everywhere Paul went, the unbelieving Jews wanted to stone Paul. They wanted to put an end to his teaching. Acts 17, 5, he's in Thessalonica. But the Jews were jealous and taking some wicked men of, of the rabble. They formed a mob and set the city in an uproar. They started a riot in that town, all because of Paul's teaching. Verse 13, but when the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of God was proclaimed by Paul at Berea also, they came there too, agitating and stirring up the crowd. Everywhere Paul went, they were ready to kill him, ready to start a riot, ready to throw him out of town. And when they threw him out of town, the Jewish leaders now, now they're following him. They're, they're following him to every town trying to shut down that message. 
Let's pick it up in chapter 19, verse 8. Paul's in Ephesus. Where did he go? The synagogue. He hasn't backed down. He taught there for about three months, disputing and persuading the things concerning the kingdom of God. Three months preaching in the synagogue. This is after all the attempts on his life. He's still in the synagogue preaching Christ for three months, even though their hearts were hardened and did not believe, even though they spoke evil of the way that, you know, Christianity, even though they spoke evil of him, he never gave up. He never quit. For two years, he went to the synagogues, to the Jews, and then to the Gentiles in every town. And the Jewish people hated him. They cursed him. They cursed Christianity. And that brings us to chapter 20 in Acts. Now, this is a very important point in Paul's ministry, life and ministry. Paul leaves Ephesus. He's on his way to Macedonia. Chapter 20, verse 1. After the uproar ceased, Paul sent for the disciples. And after encouraging them, he said farewell and departed for Macedonia. When he had gone through those regions and they had given them much encouragement, he came to Greece. There he spent three months. And when a plot was made against him by the Jews, stop right there. A plot was made against him. Paul finds out that the Jews knew he was in town and they laid outside town. They were waiting for him to come out, town, out, out of town. They were waiting for him to leave town so they could kill him. Now, it is, it, this is a very important moment in Paul's ministry. Why is this so important? Paul had a scribe by the name of Tertius. And it was at this point in the 20th chapter of Acts that Paul dictated this letter we now have called Romans. He dictated Romans in the midst of Jewish persecution while the Jews were just outside of town waiting for him to leave so they could kill him. Paul's writing Romans. There's more persecution that happens in Paul as you, as you read on through Acts. But I wanted to bring us to this point, to the point of Paul's life where he writes Romans 9. I wanted us to know what Paul had been through up to this point. I wanted us to see the love and perseverance he had to share the love of God with his fellow kinsmen in the flesh. He loved when it was not reciprocated. His goal was not to be loved, even though that would have been nice. No, his goal was what? To see souls saved. Paul loved when they tried to kill him. He forgave when no grace was given to him. So think about all that had happened to Paul. Think about what we just went through. Just skim it, you know? We just skimmed the surface of this persecution. So think about all of that as we read chapter 9 in Romans again. Think about Paul's, quote, light affliction and how he responded. He says, I am speaking the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. They are Israelites, and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, 
and the promises. To them belong the patriarchs and from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. So can you now see the heart of Paul? Can you? After all he went through, after all the suffering, after all the attempts on his life, his love never failed. Why? Why, why did Paul's love never fail? Well, well, think about this. What was the cause of all this persecution? He was preaching Jesus. Paul knew the truth. He preached the truth. And any persecution that came from man for preaching the truth would not stop him from preaching the truth. So can anyone actually question the love that Paul had for his kinsmen in the flesh? Could they? Can anyone doubt what Paul says here in the first one, first five verses here in chapter nine? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. His actions prove his love. If love is an action, then no one can question Paul's love. But Paul says, look, man, I speak truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience bears, wit bears me witness in the Holy Spirit. If you doubt his love, just look what he said in verse 3. For I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers. How deep is his love? Now, we're going to come back to this verse next week. But we have to ask this question. Where did all that love come from? When you saw the hatred that Saul had, but where did all that love come from that Paul now has? How can one have such love for another? You know, listen, I know we look at Paul as the super apostle, some kind of superhero with amazing powers. But listen, we cannot forget this. Paul was a man. He was a sinful man used by God, who was what? Filled by the Holy Spirit. Filled by the Holy Spirit. The same Holy Spirit that we all have. Don't miss that point. Paul mentions the Spirit in this text. He's been talking about the Holy Spirit all in chapter 8, talking about the power of the Holy Spirit and what he does. So when Paul speaks of his heart full of love, it is only full because of the Spirit of God. And like I just said, listen, this is the same Holy Spirit that each one of us has. This is the same Holy Spirit that came into the hearts of my, in my heart, into Pastor Jared's heart, into Pastor Ryan's heart. The Spirit of God coming into our hearts is the reason that we cannot keep from thinking about Jesus. It is the, the Holy Spirit that gives us the desire to search God's word, to proclaim God's word. It is the Spirit of God that has put a tremendous amount of love in each one of our hearts, every one of us. And when, that, and, and, and when that love we have comes from God, then we have a desire to know God and to share, with him, share him with others. We have the ability, like Paul, to love when love is not reciprocated. We have the ability, like Paul, to forgive and desire to be saved and desire that all be saved to the glory of God. So church, never discount the power or the work of the Holy Spirit. God is the same he was yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Do not for one minute think that God has lost his power or is not at work in this world just because he's silent does not mean that he is absent. He is in full control carrying out his plan. Amen?
Think about this. If Paul had been focused on all his, quote, light afflictions, instead of doing what, instead of seeing what God was doing, he may have thought that the church was losing the battle. But as we can see today, that's not true. I know that in today's time, many are discouraged. Life may not be going as you planned. You may not like the way the country is headed. But let me just say this. Be like Paul. Keep your eyes on Jesus. The battle has already been won, like Chris said earlier. Stay focused on our Lord and Savior. He is on the throne at this very minute and is in full control of everything. His spirit is in us. We have victory, and we need to go tell this lost and defeated world about the victory that we have. We have the same power that Paul had. Each one of us are super apostles, just like Paul, except for the apostle part. <laughs> we are super. We are super. One of my favorite movies. Incredibles. <laughs> I love it. The ones who have great power are called what? Supers. They're called supers. If the spirit of God lives in us, then we're supers. You see, we have a superpower that is in our hearts. And because of that power, we are overcomers. We need to get up every day and ask, where is my super suit? <laughs> Every day, we need to get up and be equipped, be filled by the Spirit, be filled by that power so we can go out, love, forgive, and proclaim the love of God every day. Amen? Amen. Pastor Ryan? 